Hello, cinefans. I'm Kendall Kruver, and this is Watching Classic Movies. Biographer Eve Golden returns to the show to discuss her latest, Strictly Dynamite, The Sensational Life of Lupi Velez. This vivacious star deserves a reputation overhaul. Lies, rumors, and misperceptions have clouded Velez's legacy. While she didn't have the opportunities in regard that her talent and star power should have brought her, she had a remarkable decades-long career and was a beloved, fascinating woman. Content warning. We discuss Lupi's suicide from about 21 minutes to 24.58, if you would prefer to skip that part of the conversation. Welcome, Eve. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for coming back. You know, I was just thinking you, I believe, were my second interview on the podcast a few years ago. Wow. Thank you for having me back, darling. It's always nice. Well, I have been looking forward to talking to you about Lupi Velez since you mentioned the book in that first interview. So it's been a long wait for me. I'm glad that we can finally have this conversation. And one of the things about Velez that I kind of had wrong was I, I really saw her as the Mexican Spitfire, this funny, witty, goofy lady. But really, the Mexican Spitfire films she made were near the end of her career, and there's so much more th- that she could do. And what you say early on in your book is that she really had a lot of dramatic potential and a lot of versatility. So tell me more about this side of Lupi that that maybe a lot of people reading the book, it would be new to them. Well, unfortunately, she was so good at wild slapstick comedy that she didn't get cast in a lot of dramatic roles. In fact, 1934 was the last U.S. dramatic film she did, and she lived another 10 years. So that's such a shame that she was typecast in these wild comedies when she was capable of doing, really, she she could have been as big as Garbo or Dietrich or Norma Shearer or any of these people in dramatic roles. Problem was why she didn't become a bigger star She didn't have a major studio with a long-term contract backing her. Uh, She didn't get a long-term contract with a studio until RKO late in her career, and they put her into these crappy B films. If she'd have had Paramount or MGM or Fox sign her to a seven-year contract and really nurture her and maybe tone down her accent a little bit and find the roles that were right for her, she could have been one of the biggest stars in Hollywood and should have been as far as I'm concerned. Why didn't she get that contract? She had the wrong accent is kind of what it boils down to. Everyone has an accent. You can hear my Philadelphia accent. I mean, there's no one who does not have an accent, but an Asian accent, uh, an Hispanic accent, mm. they will screw you over in Hollywood to this day, really but certainly in the 1930s and 40s. Yeah. And you can see this in the press that she got because you'd have these reviewers saying how wonderful she was, how much she could do, but then they dip into a sentence about that little gal from Mexico and the hot pronunciation. Yeah. 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 Madam Mex, which actually I thought was kind of funny because when I explained that there was a movie that came out at the time called Madam X, the fact that one of her directors called her Madam Mex is a little funnier than offensive when you realize that. It's not as offensive as the little gal or, you know, just like twisting her words around so she sounds less than intelligent, you know. Well, she hated that. She would really threaten to punch reporters in the nose when they quoted her in this demeaning dialect. And you do your best to work around that in the, in your book as well. That was tough because I thought, yeah. how do I do these quotes? Because I would find the same quote from three different newspapers written in three different ways. 
So I thought, okay, what I'll do is I'll keep the sentence structure, but I will make the spelling. I hate dialect spelling, even in <laughs> old books like Mark Twain, I cannot stand dialect spelling. So I thought yeah. I would cut that out and just keep the sentence structure. And I explained that in the beginning of the book. It's like, I'm not rewriting. I'm just writing what she probably actually said and how she said it. And it's good that you explain it because it, it helps you to understand not only how you write the book, but where things stood for her and what she was up against. But because, she was furious in one yeah. of her first talkies when they wrote her dialogue, her dialogue out in this Mexican accent. She went storming into the writer's offices and slammed the script down and said, who do you think I am? I speak English. You write this in English. Yeah. I think that that's maybe why she did so well as a dramatic actress in the silence. I mean, does that make sense? I mean, there's stuff like the gaucho, Lady well, of the Pavement. She Pavins. was really lucky she came along when she did. Had she yeah. come to Hollywood two years later, I don't think she'd have had a career. She was able to play any kind of character and really establish herself as a good actress and a rising star before the talkies hit. No, the, the gaucho is was probably the start of me understanding her as somebody else, even though it was a bit of that spitfire personality. The oh, character. And she and Doug Fairbanks were so sexy together. They really were. They had chemistry. And I love the unintentional hilarity of casting Mary Pickford as the Virgin Mary. I thought <laughs> it was just hilarious. It's like everybody was praying to 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 Virgin Mary Pickford and getting cured of leprosy. And I wondered if like lepers would actually show up at pick fair after that begging for the touch of mary <laughs> it was just so darn good we gotta believe well i i'm not going to accuse it of being the best film in the world i i was incredibly moved by her performance in lady of the pavements and i find it really interesting oh, yeah. she worked with dw griffith and i love lady of the pavements i love her being um molested by franklin pangborn of all people something that not many women can complain about I mean, he certainly did not play that role later on. He was the <laughs> the pansy dude going forward, right? But, Love Franklin Pangborn. I just adore him. Yeah. And you kind of see maybe what he could have done a little differently because he is good. As but I'm glad too. he didn't because what he did do was so wonderful. He made his mark. He was, he was like the, the Nellie or Edward Everett Horton. But I did love him, nevertheless, in that light. And I loved her. There's a, there's a scene where he, you know, puts the moves on her and she's just whapping him back and forth. So you have that, Loopy. But then there's other scenes where she will move you to tears. Same movie. She can switch gears so she well. Suffered, like in, in East is West with Lon Chaney. She does these wonderful dramatic scenes with Lon Chaney, who was one of the best actors of his time. And you can really see how, where she could have gone, which is so frustrating. And she's working with these people who are at the top. Well, okay, D.W. Griffith wasn't necessarily at the top anymore. But then you've got Doug Fairbanks. You've got People Lon Chaney. Yeah. She had the very best, showing her to the very best. So it does show you just how absolutely wicked this racism is, how it will strip you of the best that you could have. But the fact that directors like Todd Browning and D.W. Griffith and, and Cecil B. DeMille were requesting her and that Doug Fairbanks took her on when she was still basically just a bit player shows you that they saw the potential there and they were right. 
And she was never in the background. I find that really interesting. They might put her in kind of a secondary role, but she was never a bit player or somebody struggling to get. She just was so born to be seen. She was bursting with this talent. And so gorgeous. I mean, one of the most beautiful women in Hollywood. And beautiful in a way that's not like anybody else. I mean, the thing that made me think, oh, you could be as big as Dietrich or Garbo or, or, or as Robert maybe, in a, or, you know, or distinctive in the way Betty Davis would be, is that face, that persona was not like anything else. And she had that sparkle. And that's what makes it. Although she was a bit like she physically, uh, facially, a bit like Dolores Del Rio. And they hated each other. Did they really? Because Dolores Del Rio, Miss Dolores Del Rio, if you please, was from a very old money family, very high class, very society. And she married into another very old money, high class society family and was discovered by a great director and made a star, whereas Luffy was looked on as street trash, which she wasn't, but that was her image. So uh, she and Dolores would be furious when they were mistaken for each other, which did happen occasionally. And but just, Dolores was a lady with a capital L. Yes. She would, never, she would never do some of the things that Luffy did. I mean, Luffy would sit there in the previews or the opening nights of her own films and occasionally yell, I stink, I'm terrible in this. That was a Spitfire preview, wasn't it? One of the Spitfire movies where she's like, oh, I'm in good case, in this. And that, that yeah, well, in case she would, she would yell back at herself on the screen. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, occasionally with one of her boyfriends, she would attend um, previews and stand there in the audience behind the lines with the rest of the fans and yell insults at other stars. I mean, she, <laughs> that girl was a lot of fun. I feel like there are two ways about her. Like she could be, you could be having a great time with her and then just suddenly you had enough. She was a lot to take. Again, she was always dialed up to 10. She's yeah. the sort of person you would think was on cocaine, but she wasn't. Yeah. Like this, just running a thousand miles an hour. I can see how maybe that was the only way she might've been a little self-destructive was just that she couldn't control that energy. She didn't know what to she do with it. She wasn't as bad as Jane Mansfield. I mean, oh. Writing about Lupe after writing about Jane Mansfield, it's kind of like, okay, she's a step down from Janie because Janie would do things that, um, and I have to call her Janie because she's so adorable. I love her. And you spent time um, with the woman too, you know? You do. It's like, but Jane would do things where you just want to shake her and go, stop doing stupid things. Why are you doing this? Whereas Lupe... She would just go a little over the top sometimes, but she was basically a very sensible person and very professional. Well, then this is the thing also that we'll touch on it later, but the manner in which she died and and her high-strung personality, I think, gave her a reputation of being kind of unreliable and out of control. And I actually find her in many ways wiser and more grounded than a a lot of her peers. Like she, she didn't overbuy. She was wise with her money and had savings. She settled in a home, basically, and stayed mm-hmm. there and also had long friends. And it wasn't friends. a huge mansion either. It was a normal-sized house. Yes, a house. And she had these friends for a long time. And like I we love were talking, the fact that she yeah. had um, so many long-term friends, male, female, straight, gay. I think that just speaks really well of her. And the diversity that you're talking about. 
how it's and all she's kinds of people. friends with most of her exes. Um, Gary Cooper distanced himself from her and did not want to be photographed with her. But she and Johnny Weissmuller stayed on good terms after their divorce. And, um, you know, people did not speak ill of her. Except and, there, there were a few people like, like um, Charles Buddy Rogers who could not stand her. And when she found out that somebody couldn't stand her, she would tease them mercilessly, which I love. She and Orson Welles and Garbo, I just love her feuds with them. They were hilarious. I mean, you've told this story before, but it's pretty good how she how she was tormenting Orson Welles on the set of his. <laughs> anybody, anybody who torments Orson Welles is aces in my book. She would she would ride her tricycle with her chihuahuas while they were shooting Citizen Kane and yell, beep, beep. And <laughs> I would give a great deal of money for the outtakes of that if they still existed. Yeah, that story alone lets me know what kind of a person she is. She's a lot, but she's worth it. She's more than worth it. And I mean, just also just the fact that she was professional. Like maybe she could be a lot. Maybe she could wear everybody else, but she showed up on time. She knew her lines. And like the, the 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 yelling at herself in the previews. Well, she was physically hard on herself when she didn't. There used to be a clip of her in um, Hot Pepper, I think it was. She was doing a song and she screwed up the lyrics and she just stomps off the set going, God damn, son of a bitch. Oh, that was her? I had that on VHS. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> that was one of the first VHSs I ever got. And I didn't even know it was her. Yeah. I probably know that whole tape by memory. She would kick herself. She would curse herself out when she screwed up. And she makes me think a little bit of Carol Lombard in that regard. How then, she just oh, let it rip. They were, they were very much alike. And then she would look in the mirror. She would have her makeup done for the, the her costume and her hair done. And she would look in the mirror and kiss the mirror and go, I am so beautiful. <laughs> like Montez. See, there are things I'm seeing in here. And what, what I'm really seeing is that she has a lot in common with the actresses who didn't fool themselves, mm -hmm. who knew who they were, who were unpretentious. And this is another thing. She didn't really have a star air about her. Like, she seemed like she had the common touch in a way and was just going to talk to Oh, she people. did. She was very, she had very good terms with the crew on her set, which is very smart. Never piss off the crew on your set, especially the camera and lighting people. So she was very smart about that. And she would climb up into the wings and bring candy to the guys working up there. She was fun to work with. Nobody ever complained about her work ethic or her having temper tantrums. And she always insisted everybody take a break midday and have a nap. And uh, she was just um, very professional and very good at what she did. Back to her films. What are the films that you're like, oh, okay, if you watch these films, you're going to fall in love with Velez? Okay, the ones I can recommend. A lot of people, unfortunately, do not like silence. But I would say Resurrection, if you want to see her as a dramatic actress. She's just amazing in that. It's not a good film, but she's really good in it. John Bowles, unfortunately, was the lead, and he was really not up to the part. But uh, she was absolutely wonderful in that. The Half-Naked Truth is a great screwball comedy. And there's this wonderful number. She does this great coochie coochie dance on stage and you can they, they they wisely cut from backstage to her to the orchestra to the audience to her and you can see her interacting with the audience and you can see why she became a star 
on stage as well as on screen. Of course, uh, Hollywood Party is one of my favorite films. It's very, very silly. And she not only has that great egg fight with Laurel and Hardy, but she does a great parody of her husband's Tarzan films with Jimmy Durante as Schnarzan and her as Jungle Woman, which is just absolutely hilarious. It's a great film. High Flyers, which nobody else but me seems to like, is Wheeler and Woolsey's last film. And I think it's absolutely delightful. It's got Margaret Dumont in it. It's got a kleptomaniac dog. It's got Wheeler and Woolsey. Jack Carson, who's always good. And Loopy has two great numbers, one of which she gets to do her uh, imitations, including a really bitchy one of Dolores Del Rio. So I'd recommend High Flyers. And of her later films, you know, I'm not going to recommend the Mexican Spitfires because they're not all that terrific. It's fun to see Loopy, but the films themselves are just kind of like cut out of a mold. But Honolulu Lou, which was released, unfortunately, at the worst possible time because it takes place at a naval base in Hawaii and it was released the same week as Pearl Harbor. Wow. Yeah, so really, really bad timing. But it's a very enjoyable film. And if it was made with a higher budget and in Technicolor, it could have been one of those great 20th Century Fox musicals. Yeah, I see that. Of course, recommend Nana if you can find it and if you speak Spanish. I speak enough Spanish and knew enough about Nana to really enjoy that film. So you really don't like the Spitfire movies? I don't dislike them, but okay. if I'm going to say, here's why Loopy was so wonderful, I wouldn't recommend those. Okay. I would recommend them as cute, fun little films, you know, like the Blondie movies and things like that. But there are other films in which she are, is is so much better. Okay. Because I did, I, I don't really think they're great films. I think um, Mexican Spy, Spitfire's Blessed Event, Mexican Spitfire's Elephant, I think those are probably the best. Okay. Them. The ones they I haven't actually seen, had plots that made sense rather than just everybody running around being goofy. Yeah, it does seem like she gets to be a little bit of herself. I think she even said that she felt that she was herself. So I do like that. I maybe don't yeah, like the she did say that, that it. Car- the, the character of Carmelita is basically Lupe. Yeah. What so, I didn't like about it is nobody in the film seemed to like each other. It's mean-spirited. Yes, that it, was the, mean, where I was kind of headed. The only people yeah. who like yeah. each other are Loopy and Leon Errol as Uncle Matt. And they have a great chemistry together. But the two married couples, Loopy and her husband and Uncle Matt and his wife, they hate each other. And you're sitting there during the film going, why don't they just get divorced? They're so unhappy together. All they do yeah. is yell. And it's just instant loathing with the, the whole aunt, the aunt. and Oh, my God. The aunt is such a bitch. She's just a mean, mean woman. I mean, Elizabeth Wisden was, you know, she was a great actress, great character actress. But the character she played in that was just like, I want Uncle Matt to just throw her out a window. She's just horrible. Well, you don't understand why they're together. Like, are they just in no, the habit of it now? No, they hate each yeah. other. Well, and then her relationship with Uncle Matt is so sweet that it makes everybody else seem just awful. Even her husband kind of seems awful compared to like the chemistry they have. Refer to a couple of the films as um, everybody hates each other on a boat. Everybody hates each other on a ranch. Yeah. Everybody hates each other in, in, you know, Mexico. You know, it's basically that's the plot of the film. They're cute little films. And I won't say don't watch them, but don't watch them if you want to see why she was such 
a talented actress. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Because from the beginning to the very end, you do see the the diversity of talent that she has within a role. She has no purely dramatic role. She mm-hmm. she puts the comedy in there. So you could go back as far as the Gaucho Lady of Pavements and reach all the way to Nana. And Nana kind of broke my heart a little because she is just gorgeous. This is not somebody petering out at all. She's as gorgeous as she's ever been, if not more. Her presence well, is stunning. Marilyn Monroe was at her yeah. most beautiful right before she died at 36. And yes. Lucy was the most beautiful before she died at 36. And it's so similar. It's the same thing where you, it's almost like they're ripening. They lose weight. The cheekbones come out, the bone structure. They look like women instead of girls. That's exactly what it is. They've blossomed and then you lose them. So Mm -hmm. it was sort of that I was moved by the film, but also just knowing that this was the end when she's hit it. Like she's really got it. That that she was right on the verge of getting that contract where they yeah. were going to have her play Anna Karenina and Camille and goodness knows what else. And this is just at the time when Dolores Del Rio was starting to make Mexican films again. So it's when we get into Lupe's suicide, I think one of the many reasons she killed herself was her great chance at being a Mexican star was cut out from under her just at a time when Dolores Del Rio was becoming a big Mexican star. Well, I suppose we should go into that. Let's As we call it, the, it it's the it's the paragraph, the one thing that's just always associated with her, this the suicide and how Kenneth Anger had a take on it that that kind of made her. I a actually joke wanted to, to call. I thought of calling the book Lupe Velez. No, she did not drown in her toilet. <laughs> damn it! <laughs> take that, Simpsons. No, but really, it's it's just all over our culture that this is a thing that happened, and of course, it's ridiculous. You couldn't drown yourself in a toilet if you tried no, to. No. First of all, all of us who have had food poisoning or or a stomach virus would be dead. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, the only way, if her maid was holding her by the ankles and dunking her, then maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, she did not drown in her toilet. She was found in her bed. Uh, although I did, there are some things I don't like putting in a book, but it's my job to put it in a book. And there was that one quote from the daughter of her agent who said she was found on the floor between the bathroom and the bedroom. So I do say in the book, there is a possibility she was found on the floor, but every other source from the police to her maid, the friends who who came by said she was found in bed. My job is when I find something that I think, oh, do I have to put this in the book? Yes, I have to put this in the book. That's my job. Because it was out there and it was contributing to the narrative of, you know, so whether or not you feel it's plausible, it's something that was kind of muddying the water, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you think that the agent's daughter was thinking of Carol Landis? Because I was like, is, she's not being cruel here, is she? Is it's just it's misinformation on her no, part? And first of all, there's no shame in dying in the bathroom. A lot of people die in the bathroom. Yes, of you course. You cannot drown in a toilet. Yeah. No, to make it to make it as ugly as that, I think, is the problem. Like, well, you know, that's what Kenneth Anger did. I yeah. was very disappointed that he died just after my book went to press. So I could not actually call him a lying sack of shit in my book. Yeah. Boy. Yeah, because he couldn't get litigious on you from the grave, could he? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what led her to this point? Oh, the suicide. There are so many reasons. Uh, Everyone thinks that she killed herself because she was unmarried and pregnant, and that's the end of it. But there were 
everything was coming down on her. And I'm not going to second guess her because at that point in her life, it really seemed like the sensible option because her career was basically over. She was getting no more offers from American studios, even for B films. Her great big chance at a Mexican career had just been yanked out from under her. She was pushing 40. Her family and friends basically kind of turned their back on her when they found out she was pregnant, especially Sister Josefina, who does not come off well in the book. Yeah, that's an ugly story for sure. Yes. And everybody kind of backed into the shrubbery like Homer Simpson when they found out she was in trouble. She was offered a Broadway show, which was such a flop, it never made it to Broadway. Everything was coming down on her. And she just made the decision that, you know, my future is not good. You know, realistically speaking, what does the future have to hold for me? She just felt she had no choice. Yeah. She had enough money to get by, but she would not be able to work again. And to her, work was life. So her career was essentially over at the age of 36. Do you think if time had shifted forward a little bit more that she could have been a television star? I don't know, because look what trouble Lucy had getting Desi on television. She had to insist. She had to, she had to, she said, no Desi, no me. And Loopy had nobody to insist on her like that. So what else do we need to know about Loopy Velez? She was fun. Yeah. Despite the fact that she had such a sad ending, she was a lot of fun. And she was an incredibly talented actress who unfortunately was wasted in a lot of bad films, but the handful of films that were good, were incredibly good. And you look at them and you think, why was this woman not one of the biggest stars in Hollywood? Yeah, I agree. I, I think she had everything. I, it would have it would have been a unique thing to happen to have her go to the heights. And it's to me, it's one of the great losses for sure. And the fact that being Hispanic was not popular then and it's not popular now. And I did an interview with a news station, which shall not be named. And I talked half the interview about how difficult it was for people to immigrate from south of the border in the 1920s. And you read the, I read a lot of newspapers from the 1920s and 30s complaining about how all these Mexicans and Latin Americans are coming over here and taking all of our jobs and we got to get rid of them and we've got to, you know, uh, have, you know, stronger controls of who comes in and these are newspapers from the 1920s and 30s, and it's like reading today's New York Times. Mm -hmm. And none of that made it into the interview. <laughs> yes, I can just imagine. I'm just thinking about the right accent. I mean, that's really what it is, because think about how Canadians and, and British actors have pretty much taken over the industry, you know? And I mean, having uh, German or Swedish was okay, as long as it's Nordic. Exotic. Uh, French, you know? Um, but uh, Hispanic or Southern was also not good. You don't see a lot of uh, stars with Southern accents. Yeah. Uh, the only ones I can think of, and they were not big stars, were Johnny Mac Brown and Una Merkel. Right, right. Um, so there, it's, it's odd. Certain accents are accepted and certain accents are. And I'm not talking about by the public, but by the studios and the producers. And just the perception of her. I mean, she just could, couldn't objectively couldn't have been more beautiful or talented or able to switch gears like just jump into a, a an impression like that she could have done anything 
Oh, her impressions. And I would love to see, she did impressions in two of her movies, but I would love to see the ones she did on stage because they were vicious. They had to tone it down for the movies. She did a wonderful Catherine Hepburn in the movies. And one thing that's remarkable is about her impressions is the voices weren't that great, but she somehow made herself look like the people. She had this rubber face and she could maneuver her face and her body and her posture. So she actually looked like Catherine Hepburn or Gloria Swanson or Simone Simone or Dolores Del Rio. And that was just, I don't know how she did it. Yeah. Of the about 10 films I was able to catch, that was the thing that got me was when she would switch gears. And I wasn't getting impressions, but just her switching gears to kind of imitate somebody was that everything would change. And just like a switch had been pulled. It was just I this mean, immediate does switch. It remind me of, of Lucille Ball and Carol Lombard in a way, because they yeah. were these, these rubber-faced, gorgeous women who did not mind making themselves look ridiculous. And not losing a bit of the glamour. Like mm-hmm. just being completely appealing, just hollering at the side of a wrestling match or something. Well, and I mean, this is this is really what it is. I mean, just this book is has got helped I think, to to explain who this woman is. She's not just worthy, but she really was one of the best. And you can see glimpses of that in, in her films. It's there. It's frustrating because there's a lot that's out of reach, but but you can go and enjoy a Lupe Velez performance. You can even just go to YouTube and see a few things that you've discussed and here. On the other hand, and she knew how lucky she was because she worked continuously from 1926 through 1944. And for anybody to do that is impressive to keep up a career that long, even if it's not always in good films. And even though she never became an American citizen, she was very frustrated with people, especially during World War II, who would go back to Europe or say that, oh, they're sick of Hollywood. And she would say, Hollywood is my bread and butter. I'm, I'm grateful to Hollywood and I dread the day that they don't want me anymore. I do think it's impressive. And uh, by any other standard, it would be an amazing career. The, the only thing that makes it not the tops is that you know how much more she deserved. That's really what it comes down to. So much of her dramatic talent was wasted. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. It's, it's a shame because it's, it was a waste. Well, I really appreciate you coming on to talk to oh, me about thank Ruby. Thank you for having me, darling. I was looking forward to this conversation so much. And, and, and it's just so oh, great too. to get to get more information and to read the book. I really do recommend it, but it'll open your eyes, definitely, folks. So definitely check it out. Thank you so much, Eve. Thank you. For more information about Eve Golden's book, go to watchingclassicmovies.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review wherever you listen. Appreciate your support. Thank you for listening. This is Kendall Kruver, watching classic movies. Until next time.